0: We have heard now through the Holy Spirit, God speak to us in particular about the use of his name. Now we confess in summary form what God's word teaches on this subject in Lord's Days 36 and 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read these responsively. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it. Yes, indeed, no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming His name. That is why He commanded it to be punished with death. But what, may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Yes, when the government demands it, or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is grounded in God's word and was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testaments. May we also swear by saints or other created things. No, a legitimate oath is calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No created thing is worthy of such honor. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help. Almighty and everlasting God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners, conceived and born in sin, and unable of ourselves to do any good, but we do indeed repent of our sins. We seek your grace to help us in our remaining weaknesses. And so now, through the teaching of your word, which we confess with the church throughout the ages, satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst with your refreshing truth, that we with all our hearts may love and serve you with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God who lives and reigns forever and ever. And all the people of God said. Amen. Everyone calls upon the name of God at some point. At some point in their lives, everybody will cry out to God in one way or the other, say his name, use his name. We hear the name of God in our worship, but we also hear the name of God in the profanity of our family and friends, of music and movies. We hear his name in sermons. We also hear his name in a moment of shock or anger, perhaps from our own lips. Even hardened atheists will speak the name of the Lord in their darkest moments. They will suddenly uh, assent to the fact that there is a God and that, is, that he is their only hope. Everyone uses God's name, but how do we use God's name rightly? What is the right use of his name? We turn today to the third commandment and to the topic of God's name, that commandment being, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And as we open this commandment together, what we find is that because the name of the Lord is so great and majestic and glorious, the only right way to use this name is with reverence. And with awe and with worship. To take up the name of the Lord with anything less than that is to misuse his name and it falls short of his glory. Why is that? Why is that? Well, first let's let's just focus for a moment on the name of the Lord, the nature of his name. What does this signify to us when we talk about the name of the Lord? question and answers 99 and 100 in the Catechism, show us that when we speak about the name of the Lord, we're talking about a very large topic indeed. And this is because God's name reveals to us who God is. So we, are not, we don't conceive of God as there is God himself, and now somehow distinct from God is his name. But when we speak of God, uh, God's name, we are speaking about God himself. You see, technically, God has no name. If we were to speak with true theological precision, God has no name. Because names are given by those who have authority over someone else. And there's no one who is over God. He has rather granted himself certain names and titles and mercifully revealed these names to his creatures. Perhaps the most important name that God reveals to us is what we see in our Bibles as the capitalized Lord, but all the letters of, the, of L-O-R-D are capitalized. Uh, the Hebrew behind this word is thought to be pronounced Yahweh, although we're really not sure, and so we, uh, we simplify it to be Yahweh, uh, though, though it has historically been simplified even further to Jehovah. Jehovah. So if you ever hear if you ever hear people talking about Jehovah in truly Christian circles, uh, instead of Jehovah's Witness circles, making that distinction there, we're talking about this same particular title. We say Jehovah in some of our metrical psalms that we sing together. We're simply talking about Yahweh, the capitalized Lord of the Old Testament and the Lord of the New Testament as well. When we speak of God's name. We're speaking about God himself and all that shines forth from him. In other words, to speak of God's attributes is also to speak of God's name. Uh, to, To speak also of his actions is to invoke his name. This is why when we come to the topic of the name of the Lord in our catechism... It feels like all kinds of things have been added to what seems like a relatively simple thing. Uh, But no, when we speak of the name of the Lord, we are talking about the biggest of all things because we're speaking about God himself. All that shines forth from him, his attributes and his actions to speak about these things, to think about these things, is to invoke the name of the Lord. This comes across to us quite clearly in the passage that we read earlier, Exodus 34. But listen closely to how this passage teaches us about the name of the Lord. Exodus 34, verse 5 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is both the subject and the object. It is God himself who is proclaiming, God's name. He is telling Moses what his name is, who he is, what he is like. Now here's what his name is, according to God himself. And what you will hear as God speaks his name, what you will hear are his attributes and his actions. What he is like and what he does. Verse 6. The Lord, again this is Yahweh, passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord the lord a god merciful and gracious there are some attributes slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness attributes keeping steadfast love for thousands actions forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the fourth third and fourth generation You see, when God takes up His own name, He does not give us a mere title, but He tells us what He is like in His attributes and what He does in His actions. And this means that when we as the people of God speak about those very things, we must come with reverence and with worship because we're invoking His name. God's name is who He is and all that shines forth from Him. Dear brothers and sisters, the one true and living God is gracious and he's just. He will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. It's justice. He is both merciful and vengeful. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay, he says. He takes revenge and he shows steadfast love. And this same God has been more fully revealed to us as one in three. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is His name. He is the all-glorious, the all-powerful, the almighty God over all creation. There is no one who is allowed to approach this God flippantly. People do, but we must not. We must learn to approach this God with reverence and with worship because there is no other God beside Him. We cannot speak of him as though he's just a man, but bigger. He is not like us. He's the creator. We are the creatures. He is God. We are just human beings. And when he speaks to us his name, he is telling us who he is. And in order to use his name, we must come with reverence, with humility, with worship. That's the name of the Lord. Secondly... We have to recognize that he is our covenant God. He's our covenant God. The third commandment has a very clear warning when it says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In other words, to use God's name rashly or irreverently will lead to condemnation. But if we focus on a warning like this alone, and it is a fearful warning to be, to be sure, But if we focus on it alone, then we miss a great source of comfort that is embedded within the commandment itself. And that comfort is found in the phrase, the Lord your God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is the shortened form of what is sometimes called the covenant formula. The covenant formula. If you want to know what is at the heart of God's covenant of grace with his people, it is in this formula. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That is the promise that is the same from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And it does not matter how you try to overthrow this great plan for you to be a part of my covenant. I will win in the end. You will be my people. But here in the commandment is that short in form. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. Because you see, the commandments assume that those who are receiving them are already a part of God's covenant of grace. Those who have been liberated already from Egypt, so to speak. It is those who receive the commandments of God. I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. See, I'm the Lord, your God. You can't have any other gods. I brought you into this, this uh, covenant already. And therefore, when, we, when it comes to using this same God's name, we have to remember that it is the name of our covenant God. He's not just any God. He's not some generic God. He's your God because he has graciously through his son and by his Holy Spirit brought you into his gracious covenant. Christ has redeemed you by his blood, wiped away your guilt and your sins, including the great sin of taking his name in vain. And so there is hope for blasphemers. There was hope for Paul, wasn't there? The chief of sinners, a blasphemer, if ever there was one. There is hope for those who have spent a lifetime taking up the name of the Lord irreverently, incurring otherwise Great wrath upon themselves. That wrath is now taken away because it has been faced by Jesus Christ. There is hope for those then who come to this covenant God acknowledging their sin and asking for His forgiveness. To those who belong to this covenant of grace, there is abundant mercy available. So we've seen that God's glory and majesty are the reasons why we revere his name. And now we must add to these reasons also his love and his grace. We've spoken in uh, previous sermons about fearing the Lord and how fear and love are not at the opposite ends of the spectrum. We've we've talked about this several times. Fear of God, love of God are actually not the opposite end of the spectrum. Rather, fear is the kind of love that we are to have for God. We come with a trembling fear and love for God because he's not only the all-glorious God, but he is the all-gracious God. And he's your God for the sake of Christ, his son. He has done this. He's brought you into his covenant so that you might have confidence to use his name because you must use his name. If you're to worship and and live a a trustworthy life before him, you must use his name and uh, To be a part of his covenant means that you may have confidence to use his name, to call upon him, to praise him, to invoke him. He's your covenant God. Lastly, how do we use the name of the Lord? How do we now take what we have learned about his great and glorious and gracious name and use his name for his glory and for our good? Remembering that... Christ is renewing you by his Holy Spirit and knowing now that God is your God, it is therefore your privilege and your duty to use God's name rightly. How do we do this? The first and probably the most common way would be daily trustworthiness. Daily trustworthiness. The Pharisees of Jesus' day would try to make vows without invoking God's name explicitly. There was at this point in in their kind of intricate system of of making vows, there was a hint of superstition. They did not want to say the name of God in an irreverent way and therefore incur judgment, and so they just stopped using his name when they took vows, and they would swear instead on something that seemed lesser than God but might be related to God so that the vow would stand, but they'd still be safe. And uh, Jesus points out the hypocrisy of this and basically says, no, that is taking the name of Lord in vain, Because we are to take up his name, but we're to do so reverently. Now, this is kind of what, what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 5. It is the abuse of vows that led Jesus to say, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say simply be yes or no, and we saw James echo that same teaching in chapter five of his letter. Now this points us to daily trustworthiness. Uh, the point that Jesus is making is that if you if you say you're going to do something, do it, and if you say you are not going to do something, then don't do it. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. This is simple daily trustworthiness, and. Uh, the reason why this is incumbent upon us is because we cannot spend every day of our lives invoking God's name in a, in a kind of solemn oath. Because then it, it flattens everything that we say. Everything is now taken up to be a very solemn, weighty thing where we're taking up the name of the Lord. No, Jesus says, in that case, if, you were to, if you're going to abuse uh, the necessary oaths, if you're going to abuse this provision, then don't make a vow at all. Don't take oaths at all. He's pointing us to daily trustworthiness. And this is because God hears all that we say. He knows whether or not we intend to keep our word or not. Whether we have explicitly taken up his name in a solemn vow or not. So Jesus and James after him say, stop playing games. Stop playing games about this. We don't swear on our mother's graves. We don't swear on our family. We don't swear on a, well, sometimes we swear on a Bible in public, in, in, a, in a court of law as a signifier that we are swearing God's name. But we don't swear in these flippant ways on things that seem maybe important to us, but are not God himself. Those are the same kinds of games that the Pharisees were playing. Rather, we are to live lives of simple daily trustworthiness, and ask for forgiveness when we fail to live up to our word. Daily trustworthiness. Secondly, we use God's name through necessary oaths. Necessary oaths. Jesus and James both guard against the abuse of taking oaths, but there are times when more formal, weighty swearing is useful. The Catechism says, When the government demands it, or necessity requires it. And so we see Old and New Testament saints making oaths. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham makes a vow when he makes a covenant with a local tribal king, King Abimelech. The king says, you need to swear this. They're making a legal contract. And Abraham is more than happy to. He swears. He makes an oath. The apostle Paul in the New Testament, Paul himself Swears in the text of his letters. We see it written out before us when he feels that it's necessary in defense of his own ministry or when he wants to bolster something that he has said that seems unbelievable. So he says, I call God as my witness or something like a formula like that several times in his letters. And so it is right for us to use God's name in such a way, but it needs to be necessary, a necessary oath. So we, we have daily trustworthiness where we very simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. But there are times when, when necessary, we may take solemn oaths and invoke the name of the Lord. So let us do away with casual ways of speaking. When it comes to swearing, you know, I swear this, I swear that. Again, I swear on my mother's grave, whatever it happens to be. Let's do away with these casual ways of speaking and instead reserve that language for times of necessary oath-taking. Lastly this morning, another way to reverently, worshipfully use the name of the Lord is to control our tongues. Sometimes we talk so much and so thoughtlessly that we do not think twice about how we're referring to God or his attributes or his actions. It's no little thing to speak about the triune God. He is a consuming fire. And so we must learn to control our tongues. Because it will not do for us to speak about God as though he's just another person. Or as though he is merely a topic for study and debate. He is God. Uh, He is the great God. He is the great king above all gods. And furthermore, he is your God as a member of the covenant of grace. And so we come with reverence, with awe. We come with humility. We come with a willingness to worship at his footstool. For Christ has redeemed you by his blood, and he is renewing you by his spirit. So brothers and sisters, make alive the new self. With God's help, make alive the new self and use the the great name of Almighty God only with reverence and worship amen let us pray our gracious God you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and so we pray that you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth, nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God, enable us to contend for the faith once delivered to all the saints, and defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the true doctrine proclaimed to us, by your great blessing may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.